Welcome to the Tej Talks podcast. Forget the property celebrities. We speak to relatable people with fascinating journeys, just like you. Hosted by Tej Singh, we bring you new stories, life-changing deals, and expert advice every week. Greetings, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Tej Talks Property. Now, on today's show, I have Graham Page, who's a co-host at PPM Blackfriars. Any of my London listeners may have met him or seen him before. You know what? We started off talking about property and the figures and a lease option on a £1.1 million house that didn't go through and a HMO in Southall, which is where I live, big up. But actually, after sort of 15, 20 minutes or so, we really started talking about the things around direct property, you know, how to outsource and train a VA, how to find them, uh, why Graham invested in London, the mindset, the success, the failures, the the reality of property, and, and generally just, you know, being open and the community that is property. So there's so much to learn here on the things that are not direct property and direct figures, but touch every aspect of your business that will allow you to do better in. So it's kind of different on this episode, and I really like it. Graham's known for his no money down, or as we talk about, some money down deals. Founder of the Pact Club, check that out, we talk about that as we go along. Now, again, I still have an offer for Partners in Property. If you want to attend, go to partners-property.com, sign up, use the code TEDG748, that's my name, TEDG, I hope you can spell it, um, 748, and you will get your first month for 98% off. I actually did the maths myself, so I think I'm accurate. Usually it's 50 quid a month, but the first one is a pound, and there's lunch. I'm not going to tell you anything else, there's lunch, right? they got in London, Bridgewater, and Birmingham. Check them out, and of course, please do leave me a review, whether you like it or not. And any feedback, constructive, I please message me. Thanks. Oh, I forgot to say, if you want introducing to a mortgage broker or an insurance broker who I use, uh, or even to some bridging lenders directly, because I, I kind of like to go direct sometimes, sorry brokers, uh, let me know. Put me an email, tej at bricksandmore.co, and I will get back to you. Graham Page, welcome to the Tej Talks podcast. Thanks, Ted. It's an absolute pleasure and honor to be here. Yeah, I'm absolutely fan of your stuff and I, and I love what you're doing. Thank you very much. You know, we've met kind of briefly at PPM Blackfriars, which you co-host. I think, I don't think you, I don't think you knew I was Ted Talks, but it was a while ago. And then um, we met at the 10X conference. We had a proper good chat and I realized actually you live down the road for me and you invest, you know, where I live, which is zone four, Southall in London. And I never thought I'd meet someone who would invest in Southall and especially not in the kind of the HMO type place that you have. So before we kind of get into that, I'd love for you to tell the listeners, you know, who was Graham Page before property? What were you doing? So Graham Page before property was somebody who works in in a big pharma company in West London and and actually still does. Um, and I was working on a on a large deployment, multi-million pound project, and basically I got spat out the back end of it. And um, the result was, I, um, well, basically I, I I got depression and I I had burnout, and I I ended up taking nearly a year out of work um, to get over that. And as part of that. I worked out that actually the company that I that I thought I'd be here for life actually didn't really care about me or love me as I loved the company. So I I was speaking to my wife and she says, "Well, 
you've got to look after us and you've got to look after yourself and you've got to be healthy and go find something else that, that you're passionate about and you really enjoy doing. And I'd always been interested in, in actually, um, property and, uh, you know, the, the awful thing about homes under the hammer that I've been going for a while and I've been seeing, well, what's people doing there? So I started getting a few books and, and about three and a half years ago, I went along to one of the progressive property events, the multiple streams, and I spent a day there. And I went in there and I went, oh, okay, it's not just buy-to-lets of what they're talking about on, and refurbs of what they're talking about on homes. On There's a whole load of other stuff out there. So I sort of went and read some books and took it from there, really. Hmm. And then, so you went to that course, opened your eyes to what is possible. You read some books and then did you, what did you do then? Did you jump in and buy your first deal or how did your first deal come about? Well, the, the worst thing was that I didn't have that much money at the time. Um, and so I managed to, through a number of people at work, by started, I started telling them what I was actually doing and what I was, you know, that I was into property and, you know, I'm looking to raise funds and looking for investors, et cetera. And one of the guys that I've been working with on the, on, on, in the company, um, says, oh, then I know this other guy who happens to have a hundred thousand that he's not doing much with. Maybe you go and have a chat with him. So I went and had a, had a chat with him, explained what I did and, and, through knowing what what my colleague had worked with me, he 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 basically found out that he liked me, and he and he lent me a hundred a hundred grand, which you know for for him was the worst thing ever because because I'm sitting there going to him, oh sorry yeah yeah I've got the money I'm I'm just on a flight to Vegas I'll see you later, which he was like oh my god and he sort of stomps round the round round the round the office to come and see me and I'm there with a cup of coffee with him with him and goes cheers mate congratulations and. And with with that money, I then bought a wonderful house in in Southall, which is a lovely area. I must <laughs> in West London. <laughs> lovely indeed. Um, and so, so I mean, that is pretty. I mean, it's it's pretty crazy, I think, especially for people who are new in property, because even when you have a property or you're you have a lot of knowledge and maybe more practical experience, you can still struggle to find money. But you got it when you read some books went to a free course that doesn't teach you too much it's quite a kind of top level broad course so what was it about you you know apart from being trusted via the recommendation but what do you think it was about you that he thought right here's a hundred grand the other person that i've been working with basically said graham is a sound guy i've worked with him for three years he's straight he's sound as a pound He's not, he doesn't screw around and he does what he says he's going to do. He's also honest and trustworthy and I've met his family, etc. And he, he's a good guy. And, and just based upon that conversation, um, he, the other guy just went, okay, I'll get to know you a little bit better. We spent a bit of time having coffee. There's about nine or 10 touch points and we got to know each other, understood what he was wanting with the, with the investment and he understood what I wanted to do with it. We explained the risks, spoke about what he wanted in terms of security, what sort of returns he wanted. And then from that, he went, yeah, this sounds fine. Let's sh- shall we do it? And I'm sitting there going, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> <laughs> you're going you're to send me a hundred grand? <laughs> and I'm sitting there trying to keep my cool and go, Jesus Christ, someone's going to give me some money. This has never <laughs> happened to me in my life. 
And of course, in the back of my head, I've got this thing in my head going, oh, they'll never give you any money. You're no good. What well, you don't know what the hell you're doing. But don't give that impression away sort of thing. <laughs> <laughs> so this little voice going, nah, 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 in the, in the back. And and he basically signed it over. And that allowed me to buy my first house. And then that was, that was then the, the, the most interesting point because – the finding what you what you what you find is finding the house or finding the property or getting your first deal is only part of the journey because you sit there and you know i'd bought the house you know a three-bed house in south i'd sat there and gone got the keys going my god i've got a nearly a 1500 pound mortgage to pay here i don't know i don't know how the hell i'm going to refurbish this i don't have any builders i don't have any customers oh my god what hell have i done with my life <laughs> and, it, and it was literally one of these moments i'm sitting on the stairs going i must be mad i've, I've raised 100 grand i bought this house with someone else's money um which i've got to return and i've got to pay the mortgage i have got no customers what am i going to do how the hell do i progress from here and it was one of those major oh shit moments, if you excuse my language. Wow. And so I guess two questions. The, the first one, which is a quick one, is I know you live you know, close to Southall, but why did you pick London over the north or, you know, somewhere else that has much better yields? Um, and then once you've you know, answered that, tell us how you got out of that situation, because I think a lot of us might find ourselves in that kind of place. Yeah. So, 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 so what happened was I actually, as part, as part of my day job, I actually run teams um, over in India. So I've set up teams of up to 80 people in India. And we had a large number of them coming over into the UK at the time, working, working. And I started seeing their behaviors in the office and they're coming in tired. And I started speaking to them going, well, what's wrong? You know, and they were saying, well, the problem we're having is, you know, the landlord's asked us to move, move out because he's got an inspection coming or he's not returning our deposits or it's winter time and um, he's turned the heating off. And we've had, and, and another one was, oh no, he's scratching away. He's got bed bugs and, and the landlord didn't change do anything about it for six months. So he's sitting there scratching away. And so, so at that point I go, look, these guys are coming, you know, 3000 miles away from their home, from their homes into the UK for a year. We're working them 14 hours a day on, on projects and they can't even have a decent set of accommodation. That for me is completely unacceptable. I'm going to do better. And I will do better. And I want to basically look after these guys because they are like family to me. And, and actually, the guys who we have in the house, they are, I treat them like my family. I don't treat them like tenants. They are family. So last week, I had my birthday party. Half the house came round to my birthday party and, <laughs> and did the traditional Indian thing of the cake in the face and all of the bits. <laughs> and, and all my friends are going, what the hell is that about? So, so, so for me, it's not just about tenants. It's about lifestyle and giving them something better and looking after them which which is really important that it's not about just a room for them to stay in and to take money out of it it's about to take care of them it's about to look after them it's to have their families here and it's to meet their wives and to and to just to have someone to look out for them when they're away from home yeah okay i like that and how did i get out of it mm. <sighs> um literally it was a fire under my backside I ended up going on to all of the builders merchants and ringing around builders merchants and and basically I I hit the phones and made about 30 phone calls to get people to come round to quote and what happened was it it went from being oh this is quite a simple thing to do to actually back to brick full refurb full rewire full replumb and half the people who came round didn't even notice that. And we had challenges on 
not only the people not turning up or not giving quotes, the idea that you can find a good builder was in my head. Oh, there must be someone good out there. But I had to kiss so many ugly, ugly frogs to find this, this one, one builder. And in the end, you know, I'm still using, but he's still a bit flaky, which is a typical builder thing. But, he, but when I get a hold of him, so I think that the, the key thing is to actually go out there and get as many people as you can mitigate your risk by getting as many good builders or find as many good builders and then test them and then reuse them. And they become part of your power team. The only way to find them is to go out and get personal recommendations or look on Checker Trade or whatever it is and just go, does anybody know of anybody? Also, also I posted in some of the some of the groups as well saying, you know, um, does anybody know of a, of a builder or an electrician in this area that can do this sort of thing? And brackets, preferably quickly, <laughs> because I I didn't have anybody at that time, as I said. And we managed to get the refurb done within uh, in 12 weeks after that, up and running, and then um, and then tenanted with about two weeks after that. That house, don't you? Of course, in Southall. Yeah, yep, right in Southall. How's the capital appreciation been like on that? Well, one of the challenges we obviously started off with was um, being a new landlord. You're, you're told you should you should always go to buy to let, and you can't get an HMO license straight away. So that is one of the challenges. So it's the, the normal way of getting around that is, is you can joint venture partner with somebody who has got an HMO license or is an experienced landlord, whatever that means, Mortgage, mortgageability stuff. So what I did is I, as part of my searches, I found a very good um, mortgage broker. And he was the only one who actually sat me down and said, Graham, what is actually your strategy here? What do you want to do? And where are you going to go so we can choose the right product for you? And what we went is we actually went to Kent Reliant and they, we, he got me on an initial buy-to-let mortgage. And that was, a, that, was a set, that was completely portable across to an HMO, um, HMO product. Same product number, same same account number, etc. And during the process, what we did is after six months, when I was when I was seen as a reputable landlord, i.e., I could look after tenants and I could pay the mortgage every single month, we just rang Kent up and said we want to switch across, and they said, yeah, it's an eight hundred pound uh, thing, and they came out and they revalued it. The problem with the valuation was that. Um, it went up from about 400k to about 485k. So as a result, I managed to take out an extra 55,000 pounds out of the out of the property by switching it from a single let to to an HMO and and being on a commercial let let there. So that was a that was a double win and and, a, and even a bigger surprise. Wow! So the power of having a good broker and also a broker who, you know, not everyone's going to sit down and discuss your strategy with you, but the importance of you knowing it yourself so that you can then inform the right product decisions. And then, so obviously Crossrail has come to South. So if anyone, well, it's coming, if anyone knows like London and Crossrail, you know, it's like a, a better train system that's going to be very, very quick. Um, but South is obviously very close to London anyway. Have you noticed like the values creeping up past what it was when you bought it because of all this stuff and all the new builds going up around it? Yeah, so, the, the, so South Hall's up typically about 15 to 20% at the minute compared to where it is. So... 
it, it's gone it's gone crazy and if you look anywhere along crosswell you know further out slough maidenhead either all, all west drayton for example they're all they're all up by about 10 to 15 percent just because of that so in terms of looking for areas, you know, HS, any, you know, HS2 or anywhere where they're, where they're talking about putting stuff in. I also think that somewhere like Heathrow and the talk of the Heathrow Terminal 3 is important as well because that there's people going to be coming down and working in the areas and they're really good for HMOs in, in that sort of area. So anywhere that you've got um, local workers coming in, is is really really good not only for service accommodation but but also for HMOs as well because they're going to come down they're going to come down they're going to work and then they're going to go away uh, away again so so one of the strategies that you can use which is which is really good is actually you can do rent to rents and then you can you, you can rent the rooms out to to local builders and then they'll come in and they'll actually pay service accommodation rents and we've had a couple of deals of those which have just fallen out of bed but they were going to net nearly four thousand pounds a month. Wow. But they, but unfortunately, they fell just out at the last minute, mm. and the re, and the reason for that was because of the customer demand. So one of the things you really got to do, and and what what I what I prefer to say to people is, don't find the house in the area, find the people in the area first, understand exactly what they want. So think about who is your tenant, who is your tenant avatar. What do they actually want? Where do they want to, to, to live? Where do they want to stay? What do they want to be close to? So, so if you walk into my house, and, and I remember you cracking up when I told you this, it's like you walk into the kitchen, and on the left-hand side, I've got red as a, as a backing, and on the right-hand <laughs> side, I, I, I've got green. And I, and, I, and I show the pictures to my friends, and they go, what the hell is that about? And I go, well, one side's veg and one side's meat, and the utensils <laughs> are separated. And they're going, huh? how do you get that? And they go, well, my, guy, my guys are Indians. This is what they this is what they want and they expect in the day. So I know my customer inside out. I know, you know for example, that they that, that they're, they're 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 very price sensitive. So they, their objective is to take more money home. So I know that that twenty one point six percent of their take home is the amount that I can charge. If I go to twenty two or twenty three percent, I won't fill the rooms. So you've got to know your customer inside out before you then go. I'll I'll go get a property somewhere like somewhere in an area. So be really, really clear on that would be a piece of advice I'll give because that is really the biggest fear is that you get somewhere and you take it on either a, on a rent-to-rent basis or you buy it and you can't feel the damn thing and you're just left there with this white elephant. So do your customer analysis first. Yeah, and that's that's a really good point. Actually, a few guests on the show recently have also been saying that. And I think if you haven't maybe had your own business or worked in a certain position in a business before, that may not come naturally because it's property. You think, okay, by the house, the people will come and, and that's it. But actually, when you position it like a business, like a challenger bank, like um, a, a new legal tech company, whatever it is, they're always thinking, who's our customer? How many of them are there? What's the lifetime value of a customer? How much are they going to make? You know, so in property, if we shift our mindset, like you said, to thinking you know, customer-centric and we work backwards, it can only lead to good results, right? Um, so you had that have that house in Southall, then how did you go from that to where you are now? And then also tell us what your portfolio looks like now. So portfolio, so, so, so one of the, so one of the things I do, I, I, I still work. Um, so I have, I have a full time, I'm still in a full time job. And I, and I went on a number of courses. Um, and basically, within the course, what happened was, we had a sat down, had a conversation as part of the mentorship. And they said, Well, actually, Graham, you, you don't have any time to do anything. 
you've got you've got to do some you've got to get some help here so and, and they said well actually do you know anything about outsourcing and at this point my brain went hold on uh yeah just a little bit was run teams in india 80 80 people etc and i hadn't worked out that actually what i'd learned at work and my day job i could actually apply in property and that for me was one of the major light bulb bits the second bit was finding joint venture partners and working with other people because if you've got a massive time time um, commitment with work and family etc you can't do it all you can't go off and do the viewings you can't do the searching so through joint venture partners i um have now got we've got five rent to rent essays down in the, in the southwest near Dorchester. We've got two properties that we own up in uh, with another JV partner that we own up in um, just outside Nottingham. We own those um, fully, and um, so those are basically um, buy refurb refinance. And then we've just taken on another one this week, um, sort of in southeast in southeast London on a, on a rent to rent basis, and that one's going to be about uh, that's going to net about eight hundred pound a month. And as part of that, we're probably looking to take on another four rent rents in London and then another 10 next year. So the intention is to, is to grow steadily um, through, through the period. So we're about we're at nine at the minute and we're looking to get about 20 end of next year. And so why are you still in full time work? Because, yes, nine, if you're splitting it, is maybe not enough to live off with a family and everything, but it's getting maybe close to like a a minimum for like financial security perhaps now so why are you still in work i actually love what i do um i, I really enjoy what i do and um i love the people i work with and i i know well, the other thing is I've, I've been in the company long enough that they're going to have to pay me to go away to be honest <laughs> <laughs> you know um there's nothing on the table at the minute so i'll continue but but it's also I, i'm a type of guy that is that likes both um, I, you know, you talk about, would you like, I, I play with my kids, would you like vanilla or chocolate ice cream? And they go, oh, I'll have vanilla or I'll have chocolate. And then you go, the chips or daddy conversation, would you, do you like chips or daddy? <laughs> and then they go, and then they all go, chips. Right? <laughs> Thanks, kids. And then you go, mummy or daddy. And then they go, well, do I really have to choose? So I don't want to choose between having a day job and doing property. I want to be able to do both. And the way that, I get to do this is through joint venturing with people and also outsourcing a lot of the activity, a lot of activities that I do. One of the other advantages of having a job is that one of the guys we just, I've just JV'd with for the ones in Southeast London is they couldn't get referencing. So if you've given up your job, you need at least 25,000 pounds income coming in anyway to be, to be mortgageable. If you say, if you're going to go buy somewhere, even if you're trying to do a rent to rent, they'll still want to reference your company, which if you haven't got three years worth of records, you'll fail on that. And then if they're trying to say, well, I'll reference you personally, you go, well, I haven't got a job. You'll fail on that. So you won't get the deals. So for me coming in on the, on, on the JV, what I brought, brought to it was I'm working. They weren't. I, I, I'm, I provide the commitment and, and, and the security on the deal. And then they run the operation side. So that's just the way that we do the JV. So I, I prefer to I, I prefer to work because not only does it gives me the stability of being able to do deals, but uh, but I also love what I do. Mm, that's fair enough. And so I know you mentioned a few rent to rents, and I know you know you host co-host PPM Blackfriars, which is about no money down. Now, no money down gets shouted about a lot. Um, and a lot of people say, no, you can't do it. People say you can. People say, well, actually, you can do it, but you know 
you're going to need some money, whether it's a credit card, whether it's from your mum, whatever. What is your view on how realistic the phrase no money down is? Maybe with some experiences that you've had with it. I would say it's actually some money down, to be perfectly honest. Even 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 if you do something like a, le- a, le- a lease option. Um, so my, my actual first deal was a £1.3 million lease option. And to secure that, it was it cost me £701. So you need a little bit of money. So you can stick on a credit card. If you're going to do rent to rents, what what typically happens is you, you'll be going into into a property which needs needs some work doing. So you can either negotiate with a landlord to make sure that they actually do they pay some of it or all of the all the refurb works. But you're going to literally have to do some paint work. And you're probably going to have to do some tidying up of the garden and making it look nice to attract the premium sort of prices that you want and to make it really good for your customers. So you can either do that in a number of ways. You can you can get a 0% credit card and put stuff up on there. Or you can go to the bank of mum and dad. Or you can get a, lo- um, a low-cost loan. Hitachi loans, I think, about 3%. Or you can go to um, – your friends and family and do a bond and say, well, what I'll do is I'll pay you if, you know, 5% if you give me a loan of £10,000. So, so really, when you're doing your viewings, you want to go around the property and actually work out how much you need to spend. And then based on that, you then need to think about what's the most effective way. So we've, we took the decision about lease. So a lot of people lease their furniture. We didn't particularly like that because of the total cost of ownership. And we managed to put the, um, I think the lead, I think it was three thousand pounds for a five bed HMO for the um, for the furniture. We put that on an eight percent credit card, which we put into our figures, and we're going to pay that back over twelve months and own and obviously own the furniture after twelve months. On the le- on the leasing side, what we worked out the cost to be near enough about to be double, and we wouldn't actually own them the um, the furniture until about uh, three and a half years. So for us, it was more cost effective in terms of our cash flow. And it was important for us to actually own the, the furniture. Um, so that's why we put that on the credit card. So realistically, you can do a house from anything to a from a thousand pounds up to ten thousand pounds. It depends on the level of your customer. So if you're doing students, you can get a lot of your materials off eBay, Gumtree, local charity shops, et cetera, et cetera. If you're doing if you're doing high end professionals, you can go to IKEA, you can go to Home Depot, etc. But there's all or you can go to like people like Fusion um, or or or, land, or landlord um, or landlord furniture who we use, and you can actually get a higher end spec. It all depends on the cost. All depends on your target audience. Mm-hmm. Okay, no, that makes sense. So, you know. You very casually just said there that you had a lease option that was just over a million pounds. Can you talk us through that? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, so, so what happened? So this was an, so this was my with with my with my JV partner, and um, this was the first one. So we we'd been on the on the no money down course and in the mentorship, and we decided to to do that. So we went down to the area to look at the area and look at the deals. And she basically said, oh, I found this place, which has been on for six months. Maybe we can, um, maybe we should go and have a look at it. So I went down to it and I, I literally had to be, so we were outside the house and literally had to be um, pushed out of the car by her going, get out there. 
all the stuff going around my head about what the hell am I going to say? I don't know what I'm doing. All of this is going through my head. It's the sort of thing you get when you go into a estate agent. I don't want to look like a fool. What am I going to do? Oh, Jesus. Oh, my God. And most people would turn away. And my business partners, they're literally going, get out the bloody car. Go press the button. So I, <laughs> dot, 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 I get out the car. What does she do? She reverses the car backwards, just leaving me there in front of these big, massive gates. And then, and, and then this little camera, and I press the button, and, the, and there's this like this camera that swivels around at me and looks at me and goes, and there's a like, hello. And I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> so managed to sort of start having a conversation about stuff. And he said, yeah, come back an hour and a half later. So we did. And we spent about three hours walking around the house and, and understanding actually what they were doing and their background. So, so one of the one of the key things is about building rapport with the actual vendor or or, or the or the landlord, whoever's selling it, and, and understanding their situation. And and it's the old phrase of two ears, one mouth. Just listen to what they're trying, what they're saying. Try and understand what their problem is. Try and work out how you could potentially help them and find out how much they actually need to move on. And that's one of the key, the key, the key questions. There. Why are they moving? What do they actually want to achieve by moving? How much money do they need to move on? What are they going to do with the money afterwards? And then you can actually work out how you can actually help them do that. And, and what actually happened was the, um, so the guy was an architect, so he knew about um, he knew obviously about commercial conversions and he knew about leases. So it was relatively that piece was a, a, a quite an easy conversation. But what's happened since? So on so on the deal, and this is where people think I'm crazy, but this is just me. Okay, take it or leave it. The viewers will probably go mad on this one. So we got a 1.3 million pound house. We agreed a price of one million for it. One million or 1.1 million? I can't I can't remember. Uh, sort of did the handshake, did a pound for the for the for the lease option, sent it all off for contracts, and so we actually agreed um, a sales option um, for that price. And the idea was over two years that they would move on. Now, what what by understanding what they were doing, um, we would have made between uh, if we deal sourced it, we we would have made about forty thousand on it. If we'd rent, if we'd bought it, and we could have done a high end um, serviced accommodation there. Mortgage was in about ten grand a month, so it's a bit quite expensive. Yeah, that was a risky. The other exit was actually to either deal source it or or to or to or to sell it on below market value. What actually happened was their situation changed, and the deals that they were looking to do fell through. So their so their situation changed. What also happened is they then had a couple of kids, and one of the kids was um was disabled. And the, the place had a swimming pool um, downstairs, which the, the kids absolutely love. And I thought, well, look, I don't care how much money I'm going to make from this. If I sell it on and make 200K, 200K, there is absolutely no way that I'm going to turf somebody out of their own home where they have children involved and it's not their fault. I, I'm not prepared to do that. And, and I stand by that. Now, I do know a lot of Irish guys, no disrespect to them, who were joking me going, I would have turned up in the white vans and literally moved them out myself. And I'm going, yeah, okay, that's good for you, but I don't do that. And, I, and I, I'm not going to turf somebody out of their home because they've got young children who are who are ill and, and need the support. It's for me, it's not the it's not the right thing to do. Now, if somebody was a tenant and they were living there and they'd let the property go of their own fault 
and they were, um, you know, they were late on the rent and they've been lying and they've been deceitful. That's a completely different conversation mm -hmm. you, that you have to have. Uh, so for me, I probably walked away from 200 grand profit or 40k profit. But at the end of the day, I can sleep at night. I know that I've done. I know I've done the right thing. No, absolutely. That's fair enough. I think most people would probably agree with you. You know, it just wouldn't sit right for what you know, whatever the money was. It just wouldn't. You'd make the money, then be like, "Shit, what have I done? I feel soulless." So it wouldn't, it wouldn't have kind of worked out. So, you know, what you've mentioned a few things. So you kind of touched on mindset, on property, and your family. Now, I'm 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 sort of hearing a lot of things going on at the same time. So, and and I know you're into your fitness as well. So how do you balance all of these things and still like live a life? <laughs> Yeah. Uh, so, so I'm also a full-time triathlete as well. So, uh, I do Ironman or have done Ironman in the past, which is, if, if you don't know what that is, it's, it's a 2.4 mile swim, then a 112 mile bike ride. And then it's a marathon at the end of it. And, um, a full marathon, like a 26 miler. Yeah. Back to back. That's One. you crazy, man. You crazy. Yeah. There is a little bit of that as well. <laughs> <laughs> that is a lot of movement. Damn. So, so, so there was a lot, a lot, go, a lot going on there, um, and so you're, you're doing a day job and property and family and that at the same time. So the the piece I think is is you can do it all as long as you manage to compartmentalize stuff, and you do the, the big the biggest reason that I, the biggest thing I've taken out is when you're training two years, which is what I had to do to to get around the Ironman and get to the start line. And to be able to finish it within the 17-hour time with the 17-hour time scale, because they literally shut the lights off at 17 hours, and you can be coming down the last 100 meters going wait, wait, wait. They shut the light off. You get a DNF. You don't even register. Wow. You don't, you don't get a medal. You get nothing. So it, it, it's, it's quite brutal in that. And, and unfortunately, the one that I chose actually had a, my first one had a had a 15-hour cutoff. So that so that was even that was even worse. <laughs> Um, but but the things I learned from it was you've got to have you've got to understand your why you've got to understand what is your motivation for doing something and you've got to understand as part of it there will always be ups and downs in the process and there will be times when things you don't why am I doing this what is it actually going to give me in the future and allow me to do what is it that is actually going to enable my family to do? Why am I really doing this? And that can be financial freedom. It can be a sense of status. It can be I'm a nutty, crazy, crazy in my mind to bloody do this, so I'm bloody well doing it. So it can be stubbornness as well. And the thing which sort of kept me going during the whole project was actually around community and people because I was in a training group. And you could post what you were doing and how you were feeling, and everyone else would be in there going, "Yeah, I know how you feel. I've had enough of this. I, you know, I slept for 14 hours yesterday. I'm, I'm consistently hungry, etc. But I'm going out tomorrow, even though I don't feel like it, and I'm going to go, and I'm just going to go and do it. And that mindset has really sort of brought me through to where I am now. And, I, and once you've done something like an Ironman, you, you know you can do absolutely anything. Nothing will stop you as long as you take consistent action every single day and you have at least a, at least a rough plan of where you're going, where you want to get there and know how you do it. All you have to do then is just execute it on a daily basis and go, as long as I'm taking one step further forward to where I was yesterday, 
and better than I was yesterday. That's all that matters. And I, and I will get there. And, you know, that's, it, it's a great mindset to have. And it's the kind of mindset which, you know, breeds success. But how did, for people who are struggling with that, or people who, you know, are in your place, let's say, you know, two years ago or something, before you had this mindset, perhaps, what kind of things did you do to build and then maintain this mindset? It, it was it was literally i i made the decision that my that as part of the breakdown that i didn't want to be dependent on anybody else and my destiny was actually in my own hands and i took a conscious decision that i i could do anything i wanted i didn't know how the hell i was going to do it <laughs> or or any but i thought well look i want to go out and get a property I want I want to be I want to be financially free within within 3 years so I can give up the job if I want to. I want to be able to take the kids on holiday. I want to be able to give my wife let my wife give up work and you know I'm not after I'm not after like fast sports cars and all that sort of stuff. I just want some time and some freedom to do whatever I like and whatever I enjoy because that's the other thing. I've got to enjoy it and it's got to be pleasurable and I um so otherwise I would I don't do it. And just putting that so I think it's is it uh, the millionaire mindset or the the morning thing? I can't remember which one it is. The morning, the miracle morning. I started putting things up on the wall about vision boards, and it sounds crazy, but you start programming your mind and say, and it's literally said on the top of it, "I can buy anything. I will be, I will be a successful property entrepreneur." Those are the two words that I would read before I go to bed, and those are the two word, the two phrases that I would read when I got up in the morning. Now, that started programming my mind, and the, the bits w- which which actually started happening was the subconscious then started working on it. I didn't know how the hell I was going to do this, so I would go out for a run, and I and I used I actually used running and exercise for my thinking time, and I come back with all my crazy ideas after that, and the subconscious just worked away at it, and then it goes bang, go to this course. I'm like, oh shit, okay. So I went to that multiple streams course, you know, go get some education, etc. And and it just happens. It takes time. It 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 does. You know, you, you see all these people standing up on stages and things like that, and you know they're, they're turning over multi million pounds, and they go, and you think, God, they're suddenly an overnight success. It's taken them seven to ten years to get there of, of grind. Yeah, and I, I like the the words kind of up as you were saying that. I was just imagining in my room where they need to go because I'm going to do that and I'm going to look at that kind of that miracle mornings book because I think you know what it's it's one of these things where people keep telling you you hear about it but then until you actually put them up on your wall and look at them you don't realize how powerful some words on a wall can be um and then the power of your unconscious right and getting through past your ego kind of deeper so one thing which I maybe is unrelated to what you spoke about is networking so you're obviously a co-host of a networking event PPM Blackfriars I mean how important has networking been to you uh, in your general success and maybe your general happiness in property? Oh, oh, oh that's a great question. So, 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 in, so the, the real funny thing is, is that when you work in a, in, a, in a big company, knowledge is power and people are quite backstabby and they, they don't look after each other. What I found, people in property actually genuinely want to help each other out and are actually willing to share their resources and their contacts and their knowledge 
and they want people to be successful in what they do and they want like yeah so, so, so people people start sharing everything with you and, and they're actually willing to share their knowledge and their power team and their experiences and, and tips etc with you and, and when we and this is really different because everyone's actually really supportive and wants you to be successful whereas in business sometimes you feel like you're on your own and and it's just you trying to work it through so what it does is it really accelerates your journey and when you know when we met at the ten at the uh, the the ten meeting, what you know there's, there's there's one bit whereby it felt like a family reunion because I I came out of the the, the hall needing to go to the toilet, <laughs> and it took me 32 minutes to get to the toilet <laughs> because I was bumping into people I hadn't seen for in two two and a half years ago, and it was just like oh hugs and kisses and and everything like that and how are you doing and chat and it and it and it, and it just it was just magical. And I don't get that away. You know, you, you know, I've been in the company for 22 years now, and I'd and I'd say I count my friends in in the company who I really want to spend time with. Maybe on about on on a, on a single hand, the people I want to spend time with in property is I, I need to be an octopus with, with 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 ten fingers, just because everyone wants to look after you. And, and so networking, it, it's it's essential for me in terms of learning new things or having new ideas or looking at different new ways. And and also you meet some amazing people. And I think it, it it's an important one you mentioned there because, you know, what you said about people in companies being kind of a bit more backstabby and knowledge being the, the primary thing. Um, it, I kind of experienced that, got into property, experienced it, changed the job. And when I went back to my new job, I was totally a different person. I was acting as if I was in the property world. And I think people were not shocked, but they were surprised that like someone was so friendly and so I don't give a crap about it. And then because of that, and it's literally what you said, it's I went to property, realized what we should be like, brought it to a workplace. And actually it was so much better. Um, You know, for anyone listening, whether you're new in property, whether you're not networking is firstly, you know, and why I asked about the happiness piece is because it does get lonely, like you said earlier. So you you, you need to meet people who are in the same shit as you going through the same problems same problems with the builders with the solicitors all the same but also just i think it's great meeting people you always learn something that you you just wouldn't have known before right um and and i guess speaking of kind of people and what you said before about the whole you know leave your job quickly and no money down actually being some money down what are your thoughts on openness within i guess business and property and when i say openness for the listeners i mean not necessarily what you said before which is sharing ideas sharing business plans and and power teams but more like what people show and what they want to be perceived as and how close that is to reality (laughs) oh that's a great question because one one of the one of the people i did bump into at the meeting um was they said oh they 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 won an award last year for something um and i said oh what you've been a bit quiet recently what you've been doing she goes I've actually been clearing up the ship from the last six months, from, from the first year. So the reality, you know, we, we, we're generally told, you know, you can leave your job in three months, become financially free, spend time with your family. But, you know, the reality of it is actually building a property empire is actually really tough. Getting your first deal is the hardest thing ever, but it is achievable. It comes easier after that. 
you know, you often, if you're doing it on your own, you hit a problem, you don't know what to do next, you know, and it can be really lonely. That's why you need this, this community around you. You know, if I, if I give you some examples of the things that I've been through in my last three years. Okay, right. So uh, I'll talk about voids for tax relief, whereby the government's hitting you hard and basically taking away your, your tax. So you then start losing money. Tenants not paying, evictions, bricks through windows, cooking oil poured downstairs, police opening up at two in the morning, tenants damaging property, smashed glass tables, blocked toilets. It wasn't my fault. Well, you're the only one who was in the house. How did that happen? Did that ghost who blocked who put all that toilet paper down there? Cigarette burns on the sofa, makeup over the bedding, had that on some of our service accommodation. It's stiletto hill marks on the floor, wooden floors, nice stiletto marks, pop up brothels. Had two of those. <laughs> Deals falling through at the last moment. I'm going to say the next one with all respect estate agents. So I, I will be perfectly honest, I love property but there's two things i'm not so keen on and i so i outsource these to my business partner one is tenants dealing with tenants and the other one's dealing with estate agents so because i don't like necessarily doing those things i work with somebody who actually loves doing those things and has actually a million times better than 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 me at doing them they love speaking to estate agents and dealing with tenants so so that's one of the things that for the listeners is find out what you actually love doing and are really good at doing and find somebody else who you could work with who actually loves doing the stuff that you don't like doing. Think think about accountants. Who loves doing their books? Accountants do. <laughs> Let them do yours, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so, so the reality is it, it is not all this wonderful stuff you see on Facebook about I'm getting my new deal, I've got a new Porsche. Isn't things wonderful? It, 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 it is tough. And... It is lonely, but if you've got the community and the support group of, 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 your, of your community and people to talk to, it can be amazing. You know, it's absolutely fantastic. I still get a massive buzz when I get the keys. I get a massive buzz when I see the first tenants going in and I see the smile on their faces and the thank yous and everything else like that. You know, I get a massive buzz when they refer, people refer you on to somebody else because you know you're doing a good job for them and you're taking care of them. So, you know, for me, it's not, you know, there are people out there who will, who want to just make the money and they want to, to take the money. But for me, this is about actually doing the right thing for people. And, and, and in my view, it's about looking after the people and looking after your tenants and giving them better quality of life. It's not about taking the money. The, the money will come. If you look after them, they'll refer you on and they'll look after you and you look after them. Absolutely. And there's there's a lot of good points you raised there. And I think the one about, you know, finding a business partner or outsourcing or just, you know, letting someone else do the jobs that you don't like, because if they enjoy them, they're going to be better at it than you. Because if you like something, you're always going to put more passion and effort into it. So it's easy when you're kind of at the beginning and you've got low funds and you're alone and you're, you're starting a business to think, oh, I've got to be the CEO, the accountant, the marketer, the admin, everything, which... Look, sometimes you do, and at the right at the beginning, maybe you do. But you know, as you've kind of said, if you can find a business partner or people to outsource to, you can make your life a lot easier, and then speed up the process of that freedom and spending time with others, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And um, 
you know, when it comes to outsourcing, I know you've got experience from your job in it. In your property business, like what sort of bits have you outsourced and how, because again, outsourcing is something that's, oh my God, outsource everything, live your best life, live on a beach. Like how, <laughs> how easy has it been for you to outsource? Uh, the joys of Tim Ferriss. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, so for me, it's been relatively simple. But the the reason is is because I actually do it day in day out. So I've got eighteen years of experience of doing it. What so what? But I will tell the listeners at the end how to the, the easiest way to how they can outsource anything. So so hold there. So I basically have nearly everything within my business outsourced now. So right move searches, HMO lists, um, formatting HMO letters. We use Stamp for that. Um, then we get to the tenanting process. My VAs, you can use Arthur Online or Go Tenant. They now use that, so they they run all those processes. They do some of the marketing stuff as well, and they actually get down to the the, the stage of actually uh, once they've found properties, also um, arranging the viewings with the estate agents, and then sending the the calendar invites into your into my calendar for when I go when I go and do the viewings. And then the next piece about when you actually got the property. Um, then the process of all the tenanting processes and all of that sort of stuff, the systems and process and backend is, is, is all outsourced. So, so most of it is, 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 is there, but that's just come over a, a quite a period. But the, the, if you want to outsource anything, people often talk about you've got to have an SOP or standard operating procedure, which, which is how you do stuff. And, and you, you don't want to sit there writing that yourself. So the way that I do it is very simple. I use something called Loom, um, L-O-O-M, or Screencast-O-Matic, or you can use Camtasia, which is a, a more expensive piece of software. And basically what I will do is I, when I'm doing something, like if I'm going on to Rightmove and do a property search, what I'll do is I'll hit the record button, and then what I will actually do is I will click on the buttons on the screen with the screen being recorded and I'll talk as well and explain what I'm actually doing so I'm clicking here because I want to look at the properties within 0.1 of a mile or 0.5 of a mile of this area and I'm looking for this type of property in this price range etc now I've got the I click on here now I've got the results this is what I'm looking for I'm looking for this extra bedroom or this size room etc what I do now is I take those bits and pieces down and I put them into this spreadsheet you record all of those steps, you can then give it to your virtual assistant to actually do that for you. You've got the process. And then you get them to write the the operating document. And they make it better because you've often missed bits out that you haven't got in your head. And that's one of the reasons why outsourcing typically fails is because you don't tell them everything that you need to do. I always use the cup of tea example. Can, can you make me a cup of tea or a cup of coffee? Everyone gets it wrong. Outsourcing doesn't work. It's because you haven't told them exactly how you want your cup of tea or your cup of coffee. It's it, so If you did a video of you actually walking into Starbucks and ordering your chai cappuccino sprinkles with goodness knows what on top of it, they could order that perfectly every single time. If, if you just ask them to go get your coffee, of course they're going to get it wrong. So record, So record it, get them to write it, and then get them to operate it and improve it really easy i love that and i think it's like with anything if you have the right foundation then everything else that is built on top of it is going to be right and you you're spending a bit of time doing all this stuff but you're doing it once and you have the next x many years of your life where you don't need to 
tell them what to do again really so it's definitely a case of look at how much it's saving you as opposed to how much you're spending on it and where do you find your VAs? Uh, so I, so for me, for my, for my VAs, I, I use, I use a mixture of two places. I, I'm, as you can, as you probably heard, I'm about long-term relationships and family. That's one of my, my major key values. So I use online jobs PH for most of my VAs. Um, and I use them because what I want to do is to get somebody who comes into the business and starts thinking like me and understands what I'm doing and I can support them and their family and their lives and I know what they're doing. So, for example, this weekend, one of my VAs is actually moving flats um, and he's moving in with his girlfriend. So I've arranged to send some flowers all the way to the Philippines <laughs> in the Philippines, wow. um, which I actually outsourced to one of my other VAs to do. <laughs> uh, no idea. Um, so, the, you know, they feel loved and they, and they, they feel welcome on the other side i i often use fiverr so if i want something like a logo done or a website design done or what i call a one night stand application i'm only going to use them once um i may go back to them again if they're good um then i'll i'll use fiverr but for me if they're running my business and they are part of my business and because i see them as part of my business i want to train them the way i want them to run it to my standards not to their standards. And I want to make sure to, to, to grow them into better people and help them be better people. The reason you use outsourcing typically is you go to somebody, so you, you have to pay, you're, so you're paying for their knowledge and experience. So, you know, the guys who do the logos and do the website bits and pieces and the, and the, and the Facebook screens um, for your, your banners and all the bits and pieces and your T-shirts, those guys have been doing it for years and they're so much faster, better and quicker than you are. So just to be honest, Go to them and just pay and just pay them. It's a fair exchange for their time and experience for a bit of your money, and it makes their lives better. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, lo- I love the focus you have on people. I think, again, it's not something that's common, or at least it's not talked about kind of too commonly. But it's it's so important because we're all people, and yes, someone is doing work for you. They're an employee. That whatever they are, they're still a human behind that screen, behind that keyboard. And I think, you know, to everyone listening, we need to remember that because good things come from good relationships. Yes, people can stab you in the back. Yes, things can change. But generally speaking, if you don't hang around with idiots, then and you know, no idiots, good things are going to come back to you, right? So, you know, approach people with kindness and don't forget the humanity of, of being human, right? Um, Now, we've spoken a bit about VAs, outsourcing, and I guess technology. Is there a bit of technology or an app or just something digital that you can't live without? <laughs> yeah um the thing that i cannot live without is actually two things one is um google calendar and, and the reason i can't live without google calendar is because i time bind my activities so in the mornings i know exactly what i'm doing between eight thirty and 9 and i go that is for communicating with the va or that is my thinking time or between one and two o'clock that's my running time so I time bind my activities and that's really, really important for me to do. The other thing that I, I love is you've got to learn to love tomatoes. So, the, so there's a technique called Pomodoro. And if you go to tomato hyphen timer and put that into your web browser, what that what the Pomodoro technique does, it, it, it basically allows you to do three to four times the amount of activity in a short period. So you can either spend three hours doing something or you can actually spend 25 minutes doing it. So you do what's known as Pomodoro sprints. And a sprint is you do 25 minutes focused activity on one thing. And, and this is 
one of the things that, that, that I like to teach is, is actually you've got to have a focus on one thing. So it means turning your phones off and have no distractions and absolute focus. And I went from spending so for like trying to write, write an article on something. I used to spend three and a half hours bloody doing it. I can now do the same article in, in 22 minutes because your, your, the task ex, um, expands into the amount of time that you give it. So I'll hit one task. You do 25 minutes on that task. The alarm goes off. You stop. You can take a five-minute break where you pick up your phone, look at Facebook, get yourself a cup of tea, whatever it is, and then you go again. And, you, and if you can get – and I, I can do two or three of those in a row. And then at the end of it, you then take yourself a 15-minute break or a 20-minute break. And that is the way that you can supercharge your business. Imagine how many phone calls you can make to estate agents in that 25-minute period if you just focus on doing that. I love that. And I love tomatoes and I really want pizza. But on <laughs> uh, on a more relevant note, um, like I actually discovered that timer a few weeks ago and I'm going to start using it next week because I thought, OK, you know what? I've got this timer here. Let me try and let me continue with my current way of working and let me see. And actually, just by listening to how you use it, I know that it's going to be so much more effective um, than thinking you can make yourself do it because it's got like it's kind of gamified it's got a theme to it psychologically it's going to work really well so everyone listening uh whether you love tomatoes or not because you should because they're awesome check that link out because i think it will help a lot Um, can i can i sorry can i also pick you up on 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 two things that you said there Mm -hmm. Uh, and 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 so you use the you use the try word Mm -hmm. so so i think in terms of mindset you've got to think a bit like yoda like. There and Yoda's words were, and I'll misquote him here. <laughs> there is no try. There is either do or do not. Love so that. if you start saying to yourself, "I'll oh, I'll give that a go," it doesn't. You're not actually committing to it. Mm. You're just thinking. You're just thinking about it. Like so that. if you change your mindset and you change your language to start, "I am going to do this," mm-hmm. then that means you're committing to an action. And the second thing is I, I would challenge you and I'd also challenge your listeners to say, well, why, why wait till next week? Why not use it tomorrow? Why not use it this afternoon? Because time is finite. Don't wait for the opportunity. Go out and get it. Just start using it now. Done. I'm using it when I edit this podcast. I'm going to use it. <laughs> Fantastic. I'm going to make sure it gets done in I'll do it in less than 22 minutes, but I will use it tonight because I've got some work to do. So I appreciate that. And for everyone listening, you can see how easy it is to just talk normally, but then not realize what you're saying. You might have the best intention. Like in my head, I'm not thinking I'm going to try. I'm thinking, no, I'm going to do it. But because I've said try, it's it's kind of half-assed really. So sometimes you need someone to pick you up on those things, right? So you know, when you're with your friends, when you're with people in business, like have the conversation that we just had, because that wasn't planned at all. Um, I had no clue you're going to say that, but it's so helpful. And you need a third person to tell you these things, right? Um, so and this brings us nearly to the end of the podcast. So before we get into the quick fire round, uh, I know you have something called the Pact Club. Can you briefly just tell the people listening what that is? Because it sounds like Fight Club. Sounds cool. Yeah, so so the, so the pack the pack club is born out of a passion that I have because at the, as part of my day job, what I do is I do systems and processes and outsourcing. And you often go on a, a number of courses where they go just go find a property or go find a house, but they don't tell you how to do it. What they seem to think is easy isn't isn't necessarily easy when you get into it. So what we do at the fact at the packed club 
is three things. The P stands for property performance. So this is about performance management and actually accelerating your property journey. And what we do within there, within the membership, is that we've got the step-by-step guides that you need and that I use in my business today and you can implement and use. So the things about go find a tenant or what does my tenant look like is we've got all that we've got all of that covered. So you can just pick it up and use it. So that will accelerate your journey. A is for attitude and mindset. So mindset is everything is 80% of everything that you do. And you've, you've had a little flavor of that from me today and what I'm like. C is about century. And this is because I, I want to help 100 people get 100 properties within two years. That for me is my personal goal because what makes me happy is seeing other people successful. And then the last, and then the last bit is tribe. And this is about what we spoke about earlier about the community and the support. And it's really important when you're down and not feeling, feeling too good that you need some people there to pull you up. And it's also about accountability. So, so Ted, you know, you said today that you're going to go use the tool. In my world, I'll be pinging you tomorrow going, did you actually use it? And that holds people accountable and go, shit, someone's walking over my shoulder. That's great. But accountability is really good because you've got to do it in a non-judgmental way. And people have got to say, well, they're not just tapping me on my shoulder and nagging me like my wife does. This is going, okay, you have, well, you chose not to. That's okay as well. Yeah. That's what we have within the Pact Club. Awesome. I will definitely put a link uh, on the show notes for people to go and check it out. And actually, the thing you said about the kind of accountability accountability is incredible and it's so needed one thing i heard i think it was andy frisella mfceo say is that what you do when no one's watching over your shoulder and when no one's looking is what you do like that's the real shit so totally you need the accountability but what you're doing i.e from now until graham pings me tomorrow that's that's like who i am right that's the real me and my real ambition so if you're not doing anything in those periods maybe it's the wrong business Maybe you don't care enough. Maybe you need some support. Whatever it is, just think. When no one's looking over your shoulder, what do you do? Like that's that's what kind of is something to remember as well. So we're in a quick fire round. So short, snappy answers, like one liners. We ready for this? So what are the biggest three mistakes that you've made in property? Oh gosh, not oh, the biggest. Three. I'll say the biggest one. Not believing that I could do it simple as that anybody can do it okay i like I, I, i'll take one i will take one because it's quite big um so next what are the what are your top three tips for people who are new in property network Ed, get, get educated ask questions ask people who are further ahead of you what have they done what are they what are they problems have they hit because if you go in the shadow of somebody else or you get a mentor or a coach they've been there they walked the road that you've already been down and they've made the mistakes before you do and they can warn you of it so they're the three okay i like it and what are your top three goals for the future it can be personal can be career can be anything one is to stay married <laughs> uh, <laughs> man. Uh, to grow the property business and well one of them is to help 100 people get 100 properties in two years and that that's one of the goals and the other one is to have a, have 20 properties of my own by the end of next year i love it well again thank you so much for coming on the podcast i'll put all of your contact details in the notes so people can get a hold of you and you know we should we should do this again in like a year or so 
If you like this podcast, connect with Tej on Facebook, LinkedIn, and YouTube for more great content.